0: Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, we are in a series called Hall of Fame, Leaving a Legacy. How do we leave a legacy that matters? I watched a... um... Documentary uh, on Ted Williams yesterday with Bowen. And uh, he was enraptured by that sweet, sweet swing of Ted Williams. Um, And it was just interesting to watch this guy who was maybe the greatest baseball player ever to pick up a bat. And his legacy uh, is being a total jerk (laughs) and being the guy that was, you know, frozen in time. And you know, there was so much more opportunity for him to do so many more great things, but the legacy that he li- leaves, every single person on that, um, on that documentary done by PBS, was, he was really a piece of work. Like, that's the first thing. He was a great hitter, but man, was he a jerk. Like, wow. Wow. Think about it, if that's the legacy that you leave behind. That's not what you're shooting for, I don't think. Some people, it's like, Is, that's really what you're going for, isn't it? But, um, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, none of you all, it's just to some people. And, um, and so we have this idea of, of, of what your legacy matters. And as you come in contact with people, you think of amazing historical figures, and you think about their legacy that they leave. For me, it's like, what am I doing with that? If I had that opportunity, what would I do with it? And so we're examining a bunch of people in the Old Testament, and to see what their legacy is that they leave. When they had this opportunity to put their thumbprint on the heartbeat of history. What did they do with it? And so we've covered a couple different uh, people. we covered Abraham. Last week we covered Ruth. And uh, today we're going to talk about a guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob is an interesting, interesting guy. Person, if I was writing the Bible, Jacob wouldn't make the Bible. Just going to go ahead and cut that out. We don't need to talk about that. Know about it? Jacob is more at home's in a Game of Thrones book than he is in the Bible. Okay, you guys, like, oh, pastor knows about Game of Thrones? You all watch it too, so whatever. Um, <laughs> I read all the books, and then and then the things just. That surprises no one, if you know me, that I read, read these mammoth things. But um, you look at Jacob's life, and it, it, it echoes way more of a, of a character of this crazy tragedy, or this, this interesting uh, work of fiction, than it does what is going on with my chair. No. <laughs> Bowen did it. I don't know how, but he did it. <laughs> oh, found it. Okay just going to put that over here. So I'm not tempted to fall on my face. All right. Sorry. Uh, okay. So he, he comes out of this, this character, because if you read Jacob, if you read Genesis chapter 25 to probably about 45, you see this character arc. That's absolutely just insane. The things that are going on in his life, the things that happen to him are just weird things. He's not a hero. Jacob, he's the guy who gets his name changed to Israel. The modern-day nation of Israel is named after this guy, and he is a jerk face, okay? He is the biggest scoundrel in the Bible. And so the only person that can maybe can outdo him is his father-in-law. We got good stuff going on here, okay? That's, that, this is who this guy is. And so, but he's the one that gets his name changed to Israel, that the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes come from him he is the guy that, that all the rest of, of the Jewish nation comes from, and by proxy, Jesus comes from, and that has a direct imprint on how we operate. This guy. And so we're going to talk about kind of the interesting nature of Jacob for a while. We're gonna, I'm going to cover about 20 chapters in Genesis today in about 30 minutes. So hold on to your seats. Okay, we're going to cover a lot. If you are interested in what's going on, please check it out on your own. You can... Check me up and email me and say, you got this wrong. And maybe get a detail right. I'm not infallible, okay? But um, check it out and and read along for yourself. Because I'm not going to get to the R-rated stuff that's in Jacob. And there's plenty of R-rated stuff in Jacob. Um, There's all kinds of people. There's special ops killing things going on. There's incest. There's people sleeping with weird, just stuff uh, goes on, all right? I'm not exaggerating when I say he's, he's an interesting cat. And so you have Jacob in this moment that, that leaves a legacy. And so as I'm studying, I was like, I've got to cover Jacob. I've got to talk about, you know, the father of Israel. i, I got to, his 12 tribes or what the rest of the story of the Bible is about. I've got to talk about him. What am I supposed to extrapolate, extrapolate from this life? And Jacob is defined by one action. And I think it speaks to us this morning because Jacob is one of the... He's the real character. He's real. We struggle with the same stuff that Jacob struggles with. And Jacob is defined by holding on. Whatever he holds on to defines him. And for you and for me this morning, whatever we are holding on to is defining us. Whether that is good stuff we're holding on to or whether that's bad stuff we're holding on to. Whether that's stuff in our past that's just... Ah, Messy, those things, those words that were said to you when you were 13 years old, you still hold on to them and they play like a recorder in your head. Or the stuff that, how you hold on to the redemption and how your story is different now and now you're holding on to that. Like whatever you're holding on to, you are defined by. And so as we look at Jacob, we're going to see how being, holding on to stuff defines him. We're in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24 and 26. 26. It's where this Jacob's story starts out. We're about 80 years or so after Abraham. If you're looking, thinking about a uh, timeline, we're about a thousand years. um, That's not right. We're about 800 years before uh, Exodus and Moses. So we're still way, we're still nomad tribes. We're still wandering around the desert. We still got flocks of sheep and goats. Okay. Um, The Bedouin people of uh, the Arabian Peninsula are, would have looked a lot like Jacob at this time. So if you want like a Google image of what that looks like, look, Bedouin, and go, oh, look there, how about that? Uh, so that's, there, there, if you need a, um, a visual for that, that's what's going on. So Jacob is, is a twin. And so what happens here in Genesis chapter 25 is, is what sets him apart for the rest of his life. This is going to start the story of him. He is in the womb, and in the womb, His story of who he's going to be starts to be written. Genesis chapter 25. When the time came for her to give birth, there was twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That is funny. Uh, So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, which means heel grabber. So if you're named Jacob this morning, I know there are several of you in this room. I have like three Jacobs on my baseball team. I'm like, are right, you heel grabbers? And they all look at me weird. I'm like, that's what your name means. <laughs> you heel grabber. Now, why is this important? Because in this society, you've got uh, a heredity, or, or your inheritance comes from who's the firstborn. It's incredibly, incredibly important. The firstborn gets ninety percent of everything. All the rest of the children divide up the other ten percent. They are born seconds apart. Esau gets everything. Jacob gets the scraps. My kids, I have twin nine-year-olds. Bowen daily reminds Kendall that he is older by 45 seconds. (laughs) They are barely not born in the same minute on their birth certificates. But he is older by 45 seconds. We measure who puts the Christmas stockings up first oldest goes first, but stair step down Bowen's always in front of Kendall I'm forty five seconds older <laughs> if this was society, Bowen would get ninety percent of everything of nothing which is not much so but he would get ninety percent of it <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Kendall would Kendall and Lucy would have to uh, would share the other ten percent you see how that ten percent starts to get a little dicey real quick and having just disregard the fact that they're girls because then that would not getting anything, but we're not in that patriarchal society anymore, okay? So um, that's what's going on there. But you can imagine. You just look at Bowen and Kendall. Like, Kendall, you got, you'd got you have to live with that for the rest of your your whole life, knowing that whatever dad has, I get the scraps. All you second-borns are like, mm-hmm, live that. Yeah. Right? I'm an only child, so I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's okay. Uh, I see it in my own kids. You see it with time. You see it with uh, if so-and-so got... This or that or whatever thing, but the firstborn would get basically all of it. And so Jacob's name is Heel Grabber or the Supplanter. And so the best way, if you've ever uh, seen a swim practice, anybody ever had to go smell the sweet, sweet smell of chlorine and go through a swim practice, you're gonna, you've probably seen this happen. If a faster kid is behind a slower kid, you're swimming along and you're getting mad that this kid is kicking in front of your face. And it's a little choppy if you get too close to him. And it's harder to, you got to work a lot harder because you're stuck in their, their turbulence, if you will. And so what you do when you're the senior and it's a freshman in front of you is you grab a hold of their heel and you froom, yank them. And It's hilarious. Because they all stop, <laughs> stupid freshman, and then you keep on going, right? And so that's what happens. So you, you just grab a hold of their and you yank to the side and you go shooting forward and they go shooting back. That is what Jacob's name means. You guys got a picture in your head now? Okay, that is what his name means, a supplanter, heel grabber. What he is trying to do from the very womb is to grab a hold of that heel, get back in here and I'm going first. And this defines who he is. What he holds on to defines him. For the rest of his adolescence, childhood, until he's a young man, his actions are defined by this moment. He is constantly grabbing a hold, figuratively and literally, of Esau's blessing and who he is and trying to pull him back. So much so that he cheats his brother out of his blessing. He cheats him out of the inheritance. There's this whole drama going on where he's like blackmailing his brother for some food. His, I mean, my kids fight, but Esau is starving to death. And Jacob's like, give me your inheritance, and I'll give you some soup. Like, the dude is dying, and you're like, it's mine. And so there's this moment where Esau says, fine, I'll give you my, just give me food. I'm, 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 I'm dying here. And he gives, him, gives up his, his rights as firstborn. And then later, Jacob covers himself in, in hair, because Esau must have, really been a hairy dude. And how would it be to be defined by being hairy for all eternity in the, in the scripture? I was hairy. Um, so they put, he puts goat hair. He's so hairy. They put goat hair on his forearms. So, uh, Isaac's eyesight, Jacob's dad goes bad. And so he tricks his dad into getting the blessing by having goat hair on his arms. And, uh, that's, that's what hap- what happens now. That is a kind of a comical, fun Sunday school story to talk about. But the reality is Jacob is so enamored by this idea of, I need to be first. I want the inheritance. I want to be it. I want to have it. That he is willing to totally betray his brother and his father. This heartbreaking moment of when when, uh, Isaac realizes that he had given the blessing away from Jacob. There's this line in the scripture that says, Daddy, uh, Esau says, Dad, bless me. Said, there's nothing left. I gave it all to Jacob. There's, there's nothing left. Now, one, it's a pretty bad parenting technique if you're favoring one over the other so bad that like, you bless. Oh, it's, it's my boy Esau. I'm going to give him, bless him with everything. And, oh, it's Jacob. Like, that was what was going on, so there's some weird tension going on there. But, uh. Our problem today was Jacob, not with Isaac. So you have this issue going on where he has blessed him, and in this this beautiful heart moment, there's nothing left, son. You're going to work hard. And the blessing reads kind of like you're going to have to work harder for your food, and you're going to wander a lot, and you might find some water someday. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that blessing. And that's what happens. And so what happens out of this moment, Jacob realizes, I may have pushed things a little too far. So he runs away. He runs away. He gathers his stuff. He, he goes um, looking for a wife. And he finds his father-in-law, uh, actually finds his prospective wife. And he says, hey, how you doing? And he does this uh, whirlwind courtship. He gets married, realizes the girl he marries is the girl of his dreams. Sister, I told you, Game of Thrones. And then all of a sudden, so he's like, okay, I'll work harder. I'll, I'll, I'll do uh, something going on with his father-in-law Laban. And so now he marries um, the younger sister, and he's got two wives, all kinds of drama pursuit because of that. And then the girls have this weird back and forth, like, well, like they're trading who gets to sleep with Jacob over vegetables. And uh, it's in the Bible, <laughs> It's in, uh, uh, mandrakes, whatever a mandrake is. I have no idea what that is, but the, it's in there. Uh, you guys are like, what is he talking about? It's Genesis, man. Things are weird sometimes. So that goes on in, in the scripture. But what is defining Jacob is he's holding on to this inheritance idea. He's holding on to his greed idea. And it's defining who he is as a man with his wives even. He's holding on to, I need to collect as much stuff. He starts working the flocks and doing things in in interesting ways so that that his gathering of who the sheep are is more more and more and more and more and more and Laban's decreases and decreases and decreases. He's still holding on to this idea of, I have to get it all. And it's defining him. Finally, the relationship between his father-in-law and uh, Jacob gets so strained that Jacob says, you know what? I got to leave. I need to go back. I need to, to kind of take my, my family and these herds and find, my, we got to break out on our own. But he knows what that means. What that means is he's got to start heading back towards Esau. So remember, 14 years earlier, he runs away from Esau because he's afraid that Esau is going to kill him. Esau is known for being a hunter. Esau is a man's man. He's like walking Cabela's ad. That is who Esau is. And Jacob is not that. So he's scared to death of his brother. And so he walks back. He's walking back and his plan starts to become, you know what? If I start like bribing my brother not to kill me, this is is what I'm going to do. And so what shifts in his head is like, what I'd like to hold on to more is my life. So he starts sending his servants out in front of him. And he starts sending his goats out in front of him. And he starts sending his sheep and his camels and more goats and more, more servants out in front of him. Because he's like bribing his brother. If my brother sees this and steals it from me, then I've just lost my sheep. I haven't lost my life. So that's, that's kind of what's going this parade. The, the Bible talks about like basically this parade of livestock that keep on going out for miles and miles and miles ahead of Jacob. And what he's doing is trying to buy off Esau. And so he's given basic, he's, he's sent almost everything out ahead of him except his family. And what he's holding on to is starting to shift. I want you to see this. What's, what he's holding on to is starting to shift from his inheritance. He's already given that up. These, all those sheep, all those goats, they represent the very thing that he had stolen from his brother earlier. And so in his heart, his, he's shifting of what he's holding on to. What's important for me is my family, not these goats and sheep and camels and donkeys and whatever else is going on. So in this moment of he's finally shifting what he's supposed to be holding on to, something amazing and miraculous happens. It's Genesis chapter 32. Jacob, and this is what he's probably known the most for, he wrestles with an angel of the Lord. In this moment, he comes in contact with God, a representation of God. And Jacob in his anguish and Jacob in his, I've given up everything, all of these sheep, all of the, everything I've worked my whole entire life for. I'm giving it all up and God, and and you angel, you have to bless me. And so his shift from holding on to the things of this world go from holding on to that to holding on. To God. This is a a major shift in his life. It's a major shift in how he conducts himself. He he shifts from holding on to things and this inheritance to shifting to holding on to God. And when this wrestling match is over, it goes all night long. When this wrestling match is over, God says, "Your, your name no longer is Jacob, heel grabber, supplanter, jerk face. It's one who wrestles with God. Israel, one who holds on to God. What you hold on to defines you. What are we holding on to today? Are we holding on to our past? Are we holding on to our hurts? Are we holding on to our issues? Are we holding on to the things that happened years ago? Are we holding on to fears of the future? Are we holding on? What are we holding on to? Because what we hold on to finds us. The thing that Jacob does well is he, when he finally lets go of all of those past things that he's been holding on to, he then gets to hold on to God. And it's such a beautiful turn in the story. Such a beautiful idea. Because it's the same thing that's true for you and for me. When we finally put down all the things we've been trying to juggle and been holding on to, and we grab a hold of God... Our lives change dramatically. What we hold on to defines us. Angel of the Lord blesses him and changes his name. Right after this this interaction, Jacob goes, okay, I got to go meet Esau. I love this. I love that the whole story isn't resolved. Like, oh, God showed up. It's over. Yay. Yay. Right, Because that's, that's, once again, how man would write the story. Oh, he wrestled with, he wrestled with God, and it's all fine and dandy now. Right, that, That's how we would put, put it, because we want a nice little good ending to the story. and Put a bow on it, and yay. Except what has to happen the next day is Jacob is going to walk out and meet Esau. All right, I wrestled with God last night. I've got that thing, for, but there's still ramifications for my actions. I still got to go meet my brother, Mr. Cabela. He's going to beat me. So Jacob, very shrewdly, he takes his kids and he's like, okay, you three go that way. You three go that way. You guys go this way. He divides them all up. He, said he doesn't want them in all one spot because if Esau's mad at him. He's got, he hears there's 300 men, I think, coming with Esau. And they're going to come. They're going to kill us all. And I want you guys maybe to have a chance to survive. That's, that's his, that is his mentality going into the meeting. I don't know how mad you've made your sibling, but I hope it's not that mad that you think the next time I see them, they're actually going to strangle me and kill my whole family. And so Esau and Jacob meet. They come face to face with each other. And Esau's like, what is up with the zoo of animals you've been sending this way? And he's like, well, it's just, you know, that's some stuff I sent. And Esau's like, why? And he's like, because I, you know, I wronged you. I just wanted to send it there. And so they... This, this relationship takes a turn where Esau's like, it's okay. They leave, they part, they, they leave on, on good terms. I don't know when that heart, I would love to hear Esau's side of the story. I wish that was in the scripture more just to see what, what changed in his heart to figure this out. But Esau and Jacob have this meeting where Jacob thinks he's probably gonna die. And they, they have this, this change and the brotherhood is restored and Jacob goes on his way and Esau goes his way. And their futures change. Their futures change because Jacob changed what he held on to in the past to holding on to God. The same is true for us this morning. Is that our futures change when we let go of holding on to our past and grab a hold of God. It may even be you're holding on to a future that may never come. And you need to let go of that and hold on to God. Some of us live in the future, right? We live on, well, someday this is going to happen. I know a lot of people are like, I'm going to retire. It's going to happen. I'm going to retire. I'm just working for a retirement. What if you don't make it to retirement? I don't want to be morbid, but that happens. What happens if Jesus comes back? He wasted a lot of time. We hold on to stuff in our past, stuff in our future, hold on to it so tight that we don't get to experience what it is to hold on to God in this moment. What we hold on to defines us. There's this conclusion of the story. Um, there's a whole lot of drama that happens between now and the, and the end of the story, end of Jacob's life. But Joseph, his favorite son, brings his two boys into the tent to be blessed by Jacob. In this beautiful rounding out of the story, I just I absolutely love it because you you start it with this basically this this conniving blessing of you bless the wrong guy and uh, you're going to end it with that same thing. So he's got his grandson sitting there and Joseph says, dad, I'd love if you'd bless my kids, bring them to me. So he's got Joseph strategically and rightfully puts the oldest on the right because being blessed by the right arm was very significant and the youngest on the left and Jacob I don't know if it's a sense of humor or just because how his life went. He switches his arms and he blesses with his right arm, the younger. And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, this is the way it is, son. And he blesses him. So we start out the story with him wanting to hold on to the blessing with the, all of the stuff and the things. And, and the, I want the 90%. And the, we find him at the end of the story, flipping the script and giving it all away. What he holds on to defines him. I don't know where you are this morning, but I guarantee you, you've got something in your past, something maybe even in your future, something you're dealing with right now that you're grappling with, you're holding on to it. It weighs you down. And if you're not careful, it's going to start defining you. When in reality, we need to hold on to God, giving up the old wounds, the old hurts, the issues that we have to hold tightly to God. That is where our name is changed. That is where our future is changed. What we hold on to defines us. What are you holding on to? Is it things that you've done in your past that you did? The things that, you, that were done to you. Both are equally damaging to holding us back, to weighing us down like a load of bricks. This morning is a time to let that go. To throw it out in front of you and grapple with God. This wrestling with God, some of you are like, oh, okay, that, that sounds great. This wrestling with God, with Jacob, was an actual wrestling match. He is death-locked. With, with this angel of the Lord. Death locked. So much so, he just will not give up. Will not go away. Just holding on. I just, just holding on. So much so, the angel's like, get off me. And Jacob's like, no, not until you bless me. Get off me. Not until you bless me. Okay. Angel of the Lord touches his, uh, his hip, and his hip goes out of socket, and he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. But he wouldn't let go of God. It's rough. It's tough. I'm not sugarcoating wrestling with God. It is hard. But if your hands are full of God, they can't be full of anything else. What you hold on to defines you. I don't know what you need to be released from this morning. What story, what baggage, what issues, what words that were placed on you. But this morning is a time to leave that all and grab a hold of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for this opportunity to come in contact with you. God, as our hearts kind of identify the things that we have been holding on to, the stuff in our past and the, the maybe even the dreams that are not of you for our future, Lord, that we've been gripping so tightly to that we haven't been able to be present. We haven't been treated our families right. We haven't been able to treat our, our wives or our husbands right. We haven't been able to treat our friends right. We haven't treated the people around us, right? Because we've been holding on to other stuff. We've been grabbing the heels of things. Lord, this morning that we drop all that and grab a hold of you. Lord, that you would do the redeeming and cleansing work of our lives to to throw out the trash that we've been holding on to. Lord, that in this moment you would redeem us and love us through the blood and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com to continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.